You're listening to Seahawks Stories, taking you behind the scenes with your favorite current and former Seahawks. Play fake, drops back, going to throw it deep, got a man, it's Metcalf, he's out there, touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Turbin in the backfield with Wilson, who goes out of the shotgun, look out, here comes the blitz, Russell steps up, now he's got a scramble, now he dumps it, Turbin, midfield, 45-40, down the near sideline, 30, 25, puts his head down, what a run! By Turbin, he's all the way down to the Chargers' 21-yard line, a 32-yard pickup. Now, here's your host, Super Bowl 48 champion, Robert Turbin. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, RT, Robert Turbin, a.k.a. Turbo. You know what it is, episode number two of Seahawks Stories. We got a special guest in the building. I'm going to let the highlight. Go ahead and introduce my man sitting there next to me right now. The field goal will be spotted at the nine-yard line, so a 19-yard field goal by Grammatica. There's the snap, the spot. Romo's going to run it in. He's hit. He's knocked down. He doesn't get there. I can't tell if he fumbled. I think the ball is down, and as a matter of fact, he is. He's down on the one. Unbelievable. Romo can't get the spot down. Something happened when he put the ball down on the ground. It was a bad hold. It just slipped away from him. Jordan Babineau comes from behind to save a game-winning touchdown as he comes up short on about the one-and-a-half-yard line first down Seahawks. Oh, my goodness. The one and only Jordan Babineau. Big 2-7 joining us on the show today. What's up, my man? Uh, Turbo, I just got a quick question for you. I know this is episode two, but do you always say, like, here with special guests, like, or is, like, everyone special to you? Or do you just say that because I'm here? Nah, you know what? I don't say special guests every time, actually. I appreciate it. You know I appreciate what I'm it, Yeah, I mix it up because you are the Jordan Babineau, man. There's only one of you. What's up, Turbo? You know what I'm saying? What's going on, man? Huh? You doing good? You know, life is good. I'm staring outside, traffic on the 405, but uh, it's a sunny Part day. usual. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're doing a lot of construction. But I'm hanging out with you. Yeah, you yeah. Know? We uh, chilling. Yesterday, you were on that golf course hitting the ball. Ah, yeah. We was on the golf course. I don't know. You know, listen, I struggled. I ain't going to lie. You know, I'm trying <laughs> to get on your level. But I know anytime I go anywhere with Jordan Babineau, I'm good. All day. You know what I mean? Turbo good. Huh? You coming? That's all I need to know. You coming? Come on. Let's pulling go. up. Hey, man, appreciate you coming on to the show today. You heard the highlight, one of the legendary moments in Seahawk history, probably one of the most, you know, influential plays of your career as well. Let's get into it, man. You know, it was a, you know, big-time game, playoffs, playing against the Cowboys, Tony Roma. They're anticipating going to the Super Bowl that season. Man, take us into just the preparation of that game and that play in itself. You know, one thing about that play, uh, every time I hear it, I got to control my breathing <laughs> because it's like, I mean, like you can hear the excitement in the play call. And certainly we all know what, 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 what you know, what the outcome was and what happened. But uh, it's like, damn, what a moment. Yeah. You know, that was, that's one of those moments, right? Did you right? feel like something was bound to happen, like, negatively for the Cowboys? Like, did you just, was there something in the air that was like, we're going to either block this thing, it's going to be a fumble. Like, did you believe something like that was bound to happen? Okay, you want the truth then. I want the truth. <laughs> okay. So I will tell you, that was an oh play for me. That was that, was that moment. It's like, 
you know, it's like, did that just happen? Like, I'm, and yeah, in a matter of two seconds, right? It's like, that just happened. And that was my responsibility. So you saw the desperation to get to Romo before he got around on the other side. That was, uh, you know, I mean, that was, yeah, a remarkable play. And especially growing up in Texas, you know, there was always something about, something special about playing the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, several times throughout my career, when we played the Cowboys, you know, something magical would happen, something similar. And I remember in a preseason game, I picked up a fumble and returned it for a touchdown. You know, that play right there. And, um, you know, the Drew Bledsoe interception that led to the game-winning Josh Brown field goal. There was always a moment when we played the Cowboys that it was just something special would happen. And I think, I don't, I, I don't know what, what it was unique about the Cowboys. You know, if we played them every, every week, I'd probably be a pro bowler. <laughs> uh, Hall of Famer. You know, <laughs> you know but, um, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, I still go home and, you know, all family and friends still talk about that moment. And, uh, you know, one thing that I think is unique about being a player, and certainly you had this experience many times, is that when I hear fans talk about, you know, a specific play in my career, I ask them where they were and who they were spent, you know, wow. who they were spending time with in that moment. Because just as it was unique for us, and they can and we can recall it, so so can they. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, oftentimes it's you know the, a loss or a win of a big bet, but uh, but they always yeah. can remember that moment where they were. Some people who were at the game or hanging out with family, watching the game on the yeah. tele on the telecast, and uh, you know, so that, that little connection between fans and players, I always try to make that when I speak to pl- uh, fans about yeah. my career. Yeah, take you to a place in time, right? Yeah. It's like hearing an old school song or something. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now that's beautiful, man. Speaking of growing up in Texas, I'm curious, did you ever? You know, was, was like Don't ask. Hell no. I wasn't want, a Cowboys fan. Well, did you want to play for the Cowboys growing up? I wanted to play for any team who wanted to pay me to play <laughs> for their team. <laughs> and oddly enough, like, and look, now in the NFC West, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm going to say this, I kind of mumble it, but I was a 49ers fan growing what? up. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a 49ers fan, but I grew up in the You grew up in Cali. So I got it. Wow. Well, here, here's the thing. I mean, obviously, you know, you look back at, their winning pedigree, um, 100%. there was something unique about them. And, um, but, but the one thing about me in general, and it's kind of like me, like I, I just go against the grain. It's like if everybody liked the Cowboys, well, who's the, you know, who don't, you know, who's the Cowboys, you know, worst team to play against, right? And so it was either the Steelers or the, you know, the 49ers. And I, I always just went against the grain. It's like, yeah, that's, nah, I don't want to be a Cowboys fan. Everyone's uh-huh. a Cowboys fan. Uh-huh. Right, you know, let me go to the West Coast. So right. I became a Niners fan, fell in love with all of the 49er greats from, you know, Roger Craig to Merton Hanks to, you know, Jerry, of course, and uh, Steve Young. It's just, I don't know. So, but I'm not a 49ers fan anymore, yeah. though. I'll tell you that. You didn't do the, you didn't do the old school Merton Hanks when you made everybody the play. did the Merton Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, what? <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't imitate it, the, you know, the way the way that he did it. I think <laughs> there was, there was. There was a, another another player. So there was a few players across the league that you would try to imitate. But I will tell you, I was a Billy White Shoes fan. I mean, he okay. just, you know, he get in that end zone. And when they did the dance, you know, there, there are a few iconic dance moves throughout the NFL. The icky shuffle. Um, 100%. You, you know, uh it dances like time. that. What, what, what was the, 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 uh, the dirty, dirty bird? bird. The yeah. dirty bird, right? Yeah. Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, uh, who, who was uh, was that? Uh, Cole Pepper or uh, yeah, Cole Pepper. I yeah. wasn't a big fan of the Cole Pepper. The role. Yeah, the come on, role. man. Come <laughs> on, man. Nah, it was. It was. You know. So it was like. 
you know, as a child, you know, you're playing in Pop Warner and, and, and uh, you know, grade school, and you're like, well, who, do, who, you know, if I get in the end zone, what, you know, what am I going to do, you know, to celebrate? And so, anyway, just unique times, you know, yeah. when, when you, as a kid, we got to see these, you know, iconic figures, sports figures, you know, play at that level. Uh, so it was fun. Man, I, I remember as a kid scoring one of my first touchdowns as a Pop Warner player, and I start high, I break away for, you know, I start high stepping and got flagged. <laughs> I you, said, "Man, this is what they doing on TV." <laughs> you doing the prime you time? You was, I was doing the prime time. Uh, <laughs> I was alive, man. You know, we imitating. Yeah, as you so, should. Yeah, yeah. So high school ball. I mean, you grow up in college, play high school ball in Texas, then you go off to Southern Arkansas University, small school. Talk about that experience. You know, going to. Just that transition, leaving home, going to Arkansas, yeah, out of all places, and then playing college ball there. Yeah, well, one of the things that I uh, didn't want to do was go to school in Texas. Um, I mean, there was a few things. One, you had to take a special exam <laughs> to get into college to go to, to get accepted into college in Texas. And then two, um, I just wanted to get out. I wanted to go see life. I wanted to have you know some different experience outside of where I grew up. And at the time, my brother was more heavily recruited than I was, and he ended up going to the University of Iowa. So, you know, I remember Carl Jackson was, I believe, the running backs coach for the 49ers. At the time, he had taken a role uh, with Coach Ferentz at Iowa, and he grew up like, I don't know, maybe less than an hour away from the house, just right outside of Houston. And, you know, he comes to Port Arthur. In fact, I'll back up. My senior year, he was our offensive coordinator in high school. Okay. So he was in transition. And Dirk Winston was our defensive coordinator. Now, for those who are football fans and Steelers fans, he was part of that Steel Curtain Super Bowl winning pedigree oh, back wow. in the day. So we had two professional coaches with experience coaching us our senior year. Yeah. And we ended up making a playoffs. I think it was the first time in maybe 15 years that our, our high school made the playoffs. Uh, and we beat Earl Thomas's West Orange Stark team, by the oh. way, to do so. <laughs> Earl wasn't there. He's a lot younger well, than Right, we are. right. Um, little shot, though. Little yeah, shot is yeah cool. absolutely. <laughs> Bow right in the ribs. Uh, so Coach, Coach Jackson is in our, you know, in our living room, and he's talking, convincing mom that, hey, let your country boy go. It's all right to, you know, let him go and experience life a little bit. Ended up talking, him, talking mom into it. Monster goes to – University of Iowa when I go to Southern Arkansas. And it was a unique journey for me. You know, Division two, but, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know no better. I was happy to be playing ball, and right, right. Uh, you know, at, at the college level. And they were going to pay for me to do so, you know. Um, Did so, you have other opportunities? Small, right? right. And, 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 you know, so looking at some of the HBCUs and Southern and Grambling mm -hmm. and certainly Texas Southern right there in Houston, Prairie View, all as, you know, potential options. Um I went on this recruiting visit, you know, and it rained, sleeted, and snowed in the same day, all on the drive. And it's me and my mom riding in a, I don't know, 94, 96 Toyota Corolla, yeah. trying to figure <laughs> it out. But, um, you know, we made it back home. But something unique about that visit made me feel like that was the place for me. And uh, it's part of the story, man. It's part of the journey, right? I mean, now it's a lot different seeing Division Two players get more opportunities. I think it's probably, probably more exposure at that level now because – one thing that I was always told is that, th that they'll find you. Mm -hmm. If you can play, they'll find you. Now, I'll, there's an interesting kind of uh, dynamic to the story or, or big shift, uh, and I'll, I'll share this with you. So my senior year, 
I uh, I reach out to Monster. I call my brother Monster, by the way. Okay, senior year of senior year of college. Okay, senior year of college. I reach out to my brother Monster and I said, "Ask your coach if I could come train with you guys during the summer." Okay. Now here here was I, I'm, it, two things happened. I had one scout who was a family friend. He said, "You know, if you want to play at the next level, playing Division two football, you gotta." You got to be the best player on the field. Like, no doubt you're the best player, like, in terms of competition, right? And the other thing is you should probably look at playing uh, cornerback. So I was a natural safety, gifted, gifted playing natural safety. I, you know, I come up in tackle, and I, can, and I can, you know, had, you know, pretty decent cover skills. So I asked my brother if I could come train with them at the University of Iowa, and Coach granted me permission. So here I am training with what I call the talent pool that the NFL is coming to recruit from, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like – just as strong, just as fast. Now, this is right in their BCS championship run. Right. You know, Fred, Ru- Fred Russell, uh, you had uh, Dallas Clark, Robert Gallery. You okay. know, they had they had a squad. Yeah. You know, yeah. they were in BCS championship yeah. bowls. Yeah, Dallas Clark, uh, longtime tight end for the Colts, and Robert Gallery, offensive lineman for the Raiders. For yeah, and time, actually, right? he played here in Seattle, yeah. too, suited yeah. up with the Seahawks. Yeah. So, so, I, so I knew this was my level of competition, but when I left, when I, after that, you know, that six week or whatever it was, immersion of strength and conditioning. I go back to Southern Arkansas my senior year. I return kicks. I made special teams player of the year, um, you know, all American at cornerback, and uh, went on to play in a Division II um, all star game where I got exposure to, I believe, you know, 20 something plus teams throughout the NFL and had a chance to work out in front of, you know, pro scouts. So mm-hmm. that was really the pivotal moment for me in college going. Uh, train with my brother that summer, you know, going into my senior year. How did Southern Arkansas feel about that? I mean, because nowadays, I don't think even you're even allowed to do that, right? Did, did they feel some type of way Turbo, about that? Turbo, we probably broke all the rules. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, look. And, 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 how, was this, and how was their off-season program so much different than Southern Arkansas? I had a vision. Here's the thing. At Division two college, you know the resources don't even compare to Division one. We were lifting weights in a barn. Okay, mm. so when you look at the resources for Division one, I, I mean, there's a, a, a pre workout meal or, or shake or nu- nutrient, right, or supplement, whatever it was, a post workout. You know, they're they're like like the catering to the athletes is just at a different level. I mean, it's it's really mini pro if mm. you really think about it, and you know, so so. You know their care for the for the player and for the body was just completely different be, based on resources alone. Uh, so that was that was one thing. Two, um, from an education factor, right? I learned something different, right? How to you know really take care of my body and you know how the body moves and functionality and you know you know how one movement you know supports the other, right? So you you, you got a different education experience into health and wellness as well. And again, no knock against Division Two. It's just that in terms of competition, like the dollar, the dollar's just different, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, and then I was really clear about you know giving myself the best chance, you know, to pursue that childhood dream. And I shared it with my coaches. You know, everyone was a part of it. I even go further. That that spring, my se- uh, of my senior year in college. So before the summer. No, this was this was now now the season's over. Will okay. I make All American? Here I am, yep. my last yep. semester at college. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, I went, talked to my uh, counselor. I said, well, how many hours do I need to graduate? So I wanted to make sure I was on track to graduate. I wasn't coming back. And I needed 23 hours 
to graduate. Wow. I <laughs> I made sure, I, but but here's the thing: I had two professors throughout twenty, you know, those twenty three hours. It was all like print journalism and you know communication. I had my senior project, et cetera, and. At the same time, I was gaining the interest of, you know, small agents. And I did my 23 hours while training for a pro day in Atlanta and delivered on all of it. So, you know, in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, working online and submitting work by email, and I did that my senior year in college just to ensure, one, I wasn't coming back. Like, appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad all you did for me was great, but right. I got stuff to do, and it's, and it's somewhere. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty relentless about, about, about doing that and giving myself a chance to play at the next level. I mean, I ain't trying to date you or nothing, but you might have been ahead of your time with the <laughs> online school, you know, and, and going to college at that time. Well, the online school is not new, man. They've been doing it. <laughs> well, it worked out for you. You end up going to Seattle as an undrafted free agent. And, of course, we want to talk about – your experience with the Seattle Seahawks and that locker room. And, you know, we've already alluded to some of the big games that you've been a part of. But the draft process in itself, you know, going through those three days or however long it was during your time, uh, talk about that experience uh, and then getting signed, <laughs> signed as an undrafted free agent. You're really agent. trying to date me, man. They didn't have, they didn't have 16 <laughs> rounds when oh, I came bad. into the my league, bad. man. My bad. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I um, so the, the, it was pretty unique and um, <clears throat> interesting enough. Interestingly enough, I had a scout from the Detroit Lions come to Southern Arkansas to work me out. Okay, it's the first time that that's happened in, in in quite a while. And I also got invited to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, practice. I think it might have been a camp practice or something, but they flew me in. And uh, and I got a little tour and experience. You know, I got to. You know, this is when Derek Brooks and you know Rondé Barber was there and Brian Kelly was oh, cornered. Like this was this was Tampa too. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. as it's we know it, yeah. as we know it today. Right. And the the uh, the change of the guard, so to speak, was the big corner, the big style corner who can get hands on receivers, play this cover two cloud corner, and still be a part of the run support. That was my profile, mm. and that was attractive to the Bucks. So in my mind, I was like, okay, Bucks, you know, maybe like sixth round. I started getting a little attraction to the Bucks, you, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Although their training facility was oh, when, when uh, cool. oh, oh, I was about like Southern Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that weather had to be nice out there. Oh man, it was really nice. But you know, I mean, that was that was it was exciting. Yeah. You know, it didn't it didn't matter to me. Right. I was like, just give me a jersey right. and a chance. You know, so uh, the draft happens, you know, the big, you know, fiasco with Eli Manning and I don't know, I guess a player can just decide, no, you can draft me, but I don't want to play for your team. Send me where I want to go. Eli ends up in, you know, New York. But, um, you know, I get this call from uh, from Seattle and it may have been day or two or day three, whatever. And they was like, you know, uh, we're not going to draft you, but we have you high up on our board as a priority free agent. Okay, whatever the hell that means, just sign me up. Send me a ticket. I'm on the way. Uh-huh. Right? And uh, and so it happened. You know, here I am sitting on the couch, you know, kind of laying on the couch. I was kind of watching a draft. Maybe I wasn't, but I was, you know, it's like, hey, I just need a chance. Just, so just you, give you, me a chance. You didn't really mind. You weren't really disappointed about not getting drafted in any of the seven rounds. You just like, hey, I, whatever opportunity comes, I'm good. Didn't care. Didn't care. I just – 
I just need to get in. I don't care who and where, just I just need to get in, and I'll show you. So, you know, interest. I mean, it's just like Seattle was the perfect place for me. And, and even despite looking at all of the investment they had made at defensive back, you know, prior to me coming here, drafted Marcus Trufant first round the year before, drafted Ken Hamlin second round the, the same year as Marcus, drafted Bowlware in 2004. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't care. Like, put me in, right? I mean, the only difference between me and, you know, a player like like that is their investment in the player. But in terms of skill level, confidence, you know, athleticism, you know, mindset, approach, let's go. Line me up. So, uh, so anyway, that was the draft process for me. And like I said, I just needed to get in. And, um, you know, very fortunate that it was the Seahawks, you know, who, who drafted me. And uh, I'll pause for a moment because it's interesting how I even got to Seattle. <laughs> Well, tell us. <laughs> tell us. I wanted how you to give got you a there. chance. You know, I don't know. Maybe there was something that you wanted. No, nah, tell us. <laughs> so I get to Seattle, and uh, Ray Rhodes was a defense coordinator at the time, and he brings me into his office, and he says, um, "You know, if you know Ray, Ray from the country, right? He's from right outside of that. Hey, 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 babe, come, come on in here. Talk to my office. I'm gonna talk to you for a minute. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, Ray kind of, you know, kind of that old man talk where you, you know, you got to. Three seconds got to go by for you to, like, put it all together. It's like, oh, he said that. Yeah. And then you respond, right, because all the words sound the same. They just right. run on. <laughs> love love Coach Rose, by the way. Uh, he brings me into his office, and he's like, uh, you, you know why you're here, right? It's like, it's like uh, you know, so we're just talking about my story and growing up in Port Arthur, et cetera. He said, um, he said I'm going to just tell you, they didn't want your and just like that, Terry. Just I'm huh. telling you, I raised the. That's that's if you he know Ray Rose, that's that's who he is. Ooh. That's who he is. Let me tell you. <laughs> you say I stood on the table for you now. I stood on the table for you. So I just want you to know. He said the only reason that you're here. He said there was a there was a, a someone in player personnel that reached out to him and said, Ray, you got to check out this kid. Now he may have been to, went to a small school and he may not be the fastest, but he's a player. And I want you to check it out. Full circle, uh, you know who that that player is. Uh, I mean that that scout or that personnel person uh, personnel uh, was. It was um, Hightower. Hightower is here now on the Seahawks. I think he's uh, may have an advisor role. Wow. Um, but we, I mean, we we laugh at we laugh we laugh about that story now. Like uh-huh. Ray was like the only reason you're here. And I gave you a chance is because you're from Texas. Like, <laughs> I, 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 well, you know, it don't matter how I right. got here. I'm, but I'm going to show you right. I'm going to prove you right. And ever since day, Ray Rose took me on this wing. I mean, I would come in here and, you know, we would do like 530 meetings just to learn the tape so I can catch up on that, you know, that learning curve, mm-hmm. you know, right away. And, um, you know, I, again, I was really grateful to have people like Coach Rhodes around me early in my career. How was that rookie year for you, that first season? You know, training camp, all the newness. Um, you know, did, talk about some of the struggles you may have had and maybe some of the guys that took you under their wing, you know, and, and uh, kind of taught you along the way. Well, we were really young. Again, I said um, you had Trufant and, and Hamlin were both starters, right, the first and second round draft picks, but they were just second-year players. We had a second-year defensive back coach in Terrell Austin Mm. and the rest of our secondary I mean I don't think we had anyone over three or four years Chris Richard 
wow. was 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 my teammate. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I realized that. Yeah. I'm not dating you. I'm, yeah. Am I dating yeah. myself yeah. to yeah. you? Probably. What, to you? <laughs> I mean, because he was on the coaching staff with right. you. When but I yeah, Chris here, Rashad yeah. was was my teammate, right? And and honestly, he and I were battling for that that sixth defensive back position. So, um, you know, my rookie year was being an undrafted. Obviously, you know how it goes. Uh, you don't get much reps, right? So every rep to me on a practice field was my game. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't there's, – there's no playing around. Like, I wasn't here to make friends. I wasn't here to talk. I'm out here to win mm. every play on the football field, right? And so my practice was my game. And, you know, I just – like, I was cool just being the soloist. I was just rolling alone, right? I'd come into meetings uh, early. I'd get to the practice field early. I'd stay late. I hit my weight, you know, right? So I was, and I stayed the hell out of the training room. <laughs> you know, like that was, you can't make the club in the tub, right? right that stuck right, with me. Right. So, um, again, it was, um, you know, it was about that 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 grind and that, that never give up attitude of just that, my approach to everything, though. Yeah. You know, the weight room, the meetings, practice, um, you know, learning the game, learning the playbook. Yeah. And, um you know, I think, you know, one of my greatest uh, gifts and skill set is was my football IQ. Like, I played every position. I could I could draw up every player on the defense and tell you where they should be, what their role was. Mm-hmm. And so that really was something that helped me, uh, particularly as a corner, right? Because the one thing that you need to know as a cornerback is where's my help? Mm-hmm. Am I inside or outside? And um and so that was, you know, that, that football IQ and ability to, you know, to play multiple positions, you know, really, um, really was attractive. And, um, yeah, I ended up making a practice squad. And for me, I was like, hell yeah. There it is. <laughs> you know, right. right, because the practice squad was just a stepping stone. All of this was just a stepping stone, right? It was right. just a stepping stone because I knew what my end goal was. Yeah. You know, it's, I wanted to be a starter. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to be a starter at the end of the day. And but, eventually yeah. – you did become a starter yeah. playing for Seattle from 04 to 2010. And it sounds like, man, you were just grateful for each moment, man. Like you didn't have, you didn't really approach things with like any expectations. You were just taking things literally day by day and it led you to get to where you wanted to go. But I'm interested and curious, you know, you talk about making the practice squad as a rookie. Eventually you became a starter. What was that moment? like for you not just becoming a starter but you know wh- when did you like know in your mind like okay I got this now yeah you know what I'm saying yeah so I I had success even as a rookie free agent in the preseason right and whatever little reps that was whatever special teams reps that was you know I had success and uh you know, I just you just do things that just jump out like you gotta you gotta show out when, I, when you put that tape on on you know next day you like like you waiting for that play? Like wait till wait till you see what I did, yeah. homeboy, on that play, right? <laughs> you know, right? So it's, so it's, you know you're always excited. Um, and I'll never forget my first game. My first game, man, was Lambeau Field preseason. Okay. Man, talk about that, right? I mean, I don't even, you know. And, and that was anyway. That was just a surreal moment for me. Um, you know, I uh, I think it's well. I know it's a lot different. The way Coach Carroll runs the program now, and it may be, maybe this is a little unique across the league, <clears throat> but on a practice squad, Coach Holmgren, you couldn't be on the sideline. <laughs> During the game. 
No. Right. Wow. Like, you can't be on the sideline. So I and, – and honestly, I was a little pissed off. So if honestly, you, say, you say who were one of the veterans that took me under their wing. One was Bobby Taylor. Mm. So the veteran who came over from Philly, obviously he was with Ray Rose when he was the head coach there. He comes to Seattle and adds a little um, little veteranship here, you know, for us here. Uh, but he took me on this wing. And, you know, if it wasn't for BT, you know, inviting me in, into his suite, I probably wouldn't have went to a game. It's like, I'm not watching the game in the stands. Like, mm-hmm. hell no. Like, I should one, I should be on the sideline. But let me just tell you, the way Coach Honger ran the program was very different that's, than how things are today. That's and, funny, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, man, it really is. Just no, think about that, right? <laughs> so you were really separated you yeah, know, like so you to speak from like the team. You the practice squad, but you ain't part of the team. I know. It was, it was very different. Wow. But you know what? I, I, I also talk about, you know, Ray Rhodes. I appreciate Coach Holmgren's approach, right? I mean, there was no rookie hazing, you know, and he was all about the business. I couldn't have, I couldn't have needed that more, right? Someone to keep me, you know, just keep me in check. Like, mm-hmm. like we ain't here to play around. This is serious business. This yeah. is – this. this ain't no joke, man, you know. So um, – Anyway, I appreciate Coach Coach Holmgren, appreciated Coach Holmgren's style, but yeah, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, you didn't get to join the team on the sideline. So, uh, twelve weeks into the, my rookie season, what normally happens during the season? Someone gets hurt, banged up, acquisitions, performance, something happens, mm-hmm. boom, Babano, we're signing you to the roster. Wow, come on, man. Yeah. Come on, man. Now, I don't forget. I don't remember my first game. I had to go back and look, and look at it. I think we uh-huh. played the Buffalo Bills and we lost. But but I ended up playing seven games that, that season, and we uh, made the playoffs, a wild card game to uh, the then, I'm dating myself again, the St. Louis Rams. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, and we lost in a wild card, wild card, overtime thriller, playoff game. Yeah. Taking a step back for a second, away from football, Okay, now rumor has it, okay, you coded your own video game when you were in high school, all right, in C++. I don't know what that means, <laughs> so you're going to have to explain it to me in the audience, okay? So I want to explain that, and then, like, if you, if you didn't play football, like, if you ended up not being a football player, would you have probably become a video game designer of some sort? You know what? I thought that was my dream. Uh, honestly, I was uh, I was so infatuated with with games, and uh, what what I was more interested in was how they work. You know, like you know, video games. Like we don't normally think, oh, you press the circle button, the running back makes a spin move, or you know, triangle, he you know hurdles the right, defender. Right. Right? Like, yeah. I'm like, how does that work? Like you know, what's what goes into that? So I was I was really intrigued with that. I knew early on I had a gift. Right in terms of in terms of schooling and and, and learning ability, um, mm-hmm. and so I was part of this um, this accelerated program that allowed that gave exposure to uh, you know technology uh, in high school. And um, one of the so I took basic basic. I mean, any program would tell you like basic is it's just what it is. It's basic, right? I mean, it's like prompts and then you know followed by a keyword and then it, it just and something happens. And then the next level from basic was C++. So we had a chance to either go into robotics or continue to go into programming. And, and the next, again, this is, this is uh, like, like 1998, okay. 1998, right? So, uh, I mean, that's what it was back then. It was, you know, 
it was it's just it's just a way to to write language to get something to do something right okay um and the game or the, the project that we had in high school was hangman we had to create a hangman game okay and so i wrote and coded a hangman game and it actually worked you know <laughs> so i thought i was going to college to study computer science and even this, I took a summer program at Xavier University in New Orleans that, that was centered around computer technology. Wow. Now, this is my junior year. I'm going to bring the story way back because you're like, damn. <laughs> and this, this is kind of like a damn moment. So going into my senior year of high school, I was like, you know what? I don't even want to play football no more. Like, this is what I want to do. And my mom was wow. very diligent about, like, no, you're going you're gonna to finish what you started, and it's your senior year. With your brother, he and I graduated high school together, and we're you know obviously on the same team. It's like you know, wouldn't you wouldn't you want to have this moment you know with your brother? I was like, no, I, this is what I want to do. I want to go to school. I want to write programs, and I want to I want to make games. Obviously, I ended up playing football my senior year, but I still thought I was going to do computer science at Southern Arkansas. So uh, what do I do? I I, I designate uh, computer science as my major. And boy, I got a reality check fast. Oh man, I quickly changed my major to broadcast journalism. Really? Oh man, quickly. <laughs> what yes. was it? What was it about? No, it was everything. It was how about uh, the three different types of uh, prereq mathematics that you had to get to uh, a, a, a higher level of uh -huh. to get to calculus, right? It was like plain tricks, statistics. It was. Uh, I mean, it was just. It was it was tough. Did you have a because you because you mentioned you thought you was gonna create video game? Did you have a mind like a, a game a type of game in mind that you wanted to create? Uh, you know what? Uh, one of the games that I really liked the most it was Siphon Filter. I don't. I mean, look, I'm really dating myself, right? So, this was kind of like the old game of, you know, like a Black Ops or a SWAT or you okay. know Call of Duty, right? So you you basically had a mission objectives, you know, to go to the next stage, you do this, you know, on the way. It's like almost like a Contra. It's like an elevated Contra, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was fun, but, but so not you, necessarily, man. And, and look, I even look back, oftentimes I look back like, great. Like, my football journey was great, and I loved that. But, you know, had I been coding and doing that from, you know, 1998 for 20-plus for 20, 20 years, I probably wouldn't, well, not probably. I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. I'd be in a cubicle no <laughs> definitely not a cubicle i'd probably you know have you know have been one of the early parts of you know some of these yeah. big technology yeah, companies 100%. like what we know is you'd Microsoft be sitting pretty somewhere for real for real. i mean yeah. not that you're not already doing that you're doing babs you call me pretty sitting pretty i call uh, you call me pretty no i'm talking about you know like the you know the infrastructure around <laughs> you you know what i mean the compound I, I got you baby i got you but no i i mean it was uh Look, I appreciate it all. You're absolutely yeah. right. So you Every probably moment. look at, I mean, this is probably not comparable, but I'm going to try to metaphorically put this together anyway, okay? okay like, I it. worked at Best Buy in college, and I started in gaming, and then I did a little car stereo stuff, but I got over to home theater. And the home theater was, I was <laughs> okay? And for about a good five years... You couldn't tell me nothing about a TV, LED, <laughs> Panasonic, LC. I knew all the details. Now, every time I looked at a TV screen, I go to somebody's house, look at the flat screen. I'm looking at it totally different than just 
the clear picture. I'm looking at all the details, the pixels. Uh-huh. You know, so for a minute, you probably for a period of time was you were looking at video games probably different than the normal consumer, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was uh again, that was that was a fun time, man. It was uh a unique experience. Got I'm glad I had that in the early part. When I when I even like some of my conversations now you know, being outside of football and establishing relationships in the business community, especially here in Seattle. And I talk to like a bunch of techies and gamers and yeah. and coders and stuff. And I tell them that they're like blown away that I knew C++ and basic. They're like, That's what? Funny. How did you, yeah. getting back to football, how did you get the, the, the nickname Big Play Babs? Where it come from? Yeah, um. Well, I mean, there was just a few a few plays that I made in, in, in key games, and it always happened, to, you know, late in the ball game that would, you know, help us. I didn't say I won the game, but it would help us win the game. And uh, I believe it was, uh, you know, the, the famous, world-famous Hall of Famer, John Madden, mm. who, you know, gave it the that level of, of reverence and uh, – that we know it as today, who mentioned that on the broadcast. And, um, yeah, that was uh, – that was, and we, we heard we heard uh, the play-by-play, uh, Steve Rabel, give, you know, his description of it. But on the, the national broadcast, it was John Madden wow. uh, who had the call. Wow. So, um, I mean, that's another, you know, kind of like – Surreal moment, moment. Like yeah. Moment, you know yeah. what I mean? Like – John Madden calling yeah. your game, man. Yeah. Talk to you know, saying your name. Ah, oh, that's got to be big time. Um, so you play for Seattle, oh four to ten. The next two seasons of your career, you head over to Tennessee. Yeah. Two of the better seasons of your career. Uh, not a lot of people on the outside understand what that you know that transition is like. Not only, you know changing careers out uh, away from football, but changing teams. Uh, so talk about that process for you, what it was like and what it was like to play for a new franchise. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of a, a very disappointing breakup in my eyes too with, with the Seahawks, you know, uh, Jim Mora just become the, you know, head coach. Um, you know, we had a dismal season to say the least. And, you know, there was a shift in, in management all the way up to, you know, from GM all the way down to president, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously what comes about change is like, oh, man, you feel change in the building. So I'll never forget Todd Lewinke, I believe, was team president or CEO, and he had to – I think he was leading the next search for the head coach. And, uh, you know, they land, obviously landed with Coach Carroll. And and Coach Carroll comes in, you know, you know right in 20, uh, 2010 was mm-hmm. my last season here – um, uh, and you know, there was also the year that they drafted Earl Thomas first round, they drafted Cam Chancellor, I believe, fourth or fifth round, you know, later in the draft. And, you know, the year prior I had, you know, I was in my contract where I had hit my performance incentives and I was set to make, you know, the most money that I uh, you know, I could make that ever, you know, in my mm-hmm, career. Mm-hmm. And um and then Coach Carroll comes in and I had a I had a basically a, a competition with Lawyer Malloy. And uh, so, so Carol comes in, you know, you know about the hundred plus transactions that he, you know, he's famously known in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most transactions by a first year head coach. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, I made that up, but maybe he is. Uh, and I was part of one of those one of those transactions, those roster cuts. So 
I was cut, brought back, to, you know, a uh, day or two later, uh, but I was in a different role. Mm-hmm. So I was no longer the starter. I had a supporting role. I'd come in and passing situations, you know, special packages. So I went, you know, probably went from like, you know, 60, 70 plays to about 30 plays, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, you know, the team and, and the game plan. But I was also tasked to teach the rookies how, you know, how to play this game. So, I mean, I used to have sessions with Earl and Cam and teach them how to watch film and things like that. So I guess you can say that the reason that they kind of had the success that they did in their career was partly because of, no, I'm teasing. I could never take that career. You know what? I, I remember <laughs> asking Earl Thomas as a young player what he does, like when he watches film, like what does he watch for? You know, I'm like, Earl, you know, can you? He was like, I watch me. <laughs> Is that what you was teaching them, Joe, uh, Babs? That's what you was teaching them in there? Hey, let me just tell you. When Earl first got here, man, he was just he was just raw talent, man. <laughs> he was just natural. Yeah. And all Earl know is see ball, hit ball, see ball, get ball, you yeah. know? Yeah. And um, but, you know, I think I think we all knew. It was myself, obviously Lawyer had a, a big impact on that. True font. It's like, man, when once once he got it and it and it you know, it clicked for him and yeah. seeing the game a little different. Like, I mean, he, he was just going to take Pick off. Up. This, this, he was just naturally gifted. So anyway, I'm down. I get, I got shipped out, went out to Tennessee. I think they put us on a package deal myself and, and Matt Hasselback. So we both ended up landed on the same team and, um, you know, it was just different, you know, and it's like, ah, you know, was, you know, everything about it, but that was okay because I knew I had to personally, I just felt like I had to, earn my right to, you know, to be in a locker room and be a leader for this team. But my vision for, you know, what I wanted to do in terms of reclaiming my, my position as a starter was still the same, and, and I still had that ambition. Mm-hmm. So eventually I got a chance to do that. And, um, you know, while we weren't as successful down in Tennessee, uh, not making the playoffs, um, it's still part of the experience and part of the journey, and I was still one of, you know, very few people who had a chance to play at this level. In episode one of this season – we had True Font, special guest True Font. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Did True Font tell you that it helped him make the Pro Bowl? Uh, you know what? He mentioned that he made a Pro Bowl, but he didn't mention nothing about Babs. See, you see, know, you that, see <laughs> they forget about the small people. Let me just okay. Well, then let me tell you how I helped True make the Pro Bowl. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's like like Babs. Wow, you you part of all of these great you know contributions to yeah. these great careers. You know, yeah, yeah. So, look, look, True Font, man. It's one thing about True, man. I was blown away with. Trufant's, you know, athleticism and skill set. This guy had the best footwork in the league. Mm-hmm. And True would always find himself in position. But he'd bat the ball down. <laughs> I go up to True. I'm not kidding. I say, True, catch the damn ball. Yeah. <laughs> he went on to get seven picks and make the Pro Bowl. So yeah, you can yeah, thank yeah, me yeah, for okay. that, Trufant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to let him know that, man. But, uh, you know, one of the, one of the unique things about uh, the Trufant family I should say is, you know, Marcus and both his brothers all made it to the league. Yeah. They played in the NFL. Pretty and special. you, yeah, your older brother, you and your older brother, uh, in your own unique way, also both, you know, made it to the NFL. Very two different journeys, right? Uh, but both played in the NFL. So what was that experience like? What did that mean to you and your family? Yeah, that that was uh, thanks for bringing that up, man. That was that was a special moment. You know, my brother was a second round again. Some more circles. I mean, you see how close knitted that the NFL is. Uh, Jim Mora was the head coach in Atlanta. My mm-hmm. brother, my brother was a second round draft pick 
his head, by his head coach, Jim Moore. Jim Moore comes to Seattle, my last part of my career, ended up being my DB coach for two years before he took the head coaching job. So, um, you know, having you know that time when you know when we when we played against one another, I mean, that was that was pretty special, you know. And um, you know, obviously the the joy and you know that we got to do for you know for our mom, you know, and it was really big big paybacks, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like. You know, when growing up in Port Arthur, Texas, surrounded by drug abuse and violence, yeah. you know, peer pressure, the streets seemed like a faster way to make money. Somehow, you know, she helped us navigate that. Somehow, you know, after the early death of my father at eight years old, single mother, you know, had raised five kids to all graduate high school and all graduate college and put up, you know, and two two sons in the NFL, right? That's, wow. you know, that's that's, you know, that's special, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to, you know, have those moments when he and I competed against each other, you know, you know, and that brotherly rivalry, man, was something that went all the way back to middle school. I can only imagine. You know what I mean? Like to yes, middle sir. school, I'm like, hell nah, you're not going to one-up me at anything. Like, <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter what we did. We always competed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was the early part of, you know, you know, where it all started, you know, and without realizing it. And it, and it continued all the way through you know, through our professional career. And so he went on to play for 12 years. You know, I I had uh, a nine-year career and um, enjoyed every bit of it. Last two things I want to touch on, because as I've gotten to know know you over, you know, the last couple years, uh, you're you're one of the big relationship-type guys uh, that I know, big on networking, big on – just connecting with people, right? And then and then nurturing those relationships in your own way, whether it's coffee or lunch or so you leave, you go to Tennessee, you play for the Titans for a couple years. And uh, or they maybe they were the Oilers and I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> and you come back to Seattle as an as a non player. And so what what was that? experience like because you said you mentioned you you left on kind of you know the the terms weren't great when you left you know so coming back as a non-player getting involved in the pre and post game show just just talk about you know how you navigated that uh, experience well believe it or not it's been 10 years and and this makes 10 years now that uh i've been on the other side of uh of the white lines um and uh, here's a lesson you know i i don't think it's very few players who leave the game on their own terms and very few players continue to have a strong or healthy relationship with their former club. After you walk in there and maybe you're over maybe you're promised something that they didn't deliver on, or maybe you get into contract disputes or, you know, you leave, you know, on a, on a bad note. And the one thing about me is that while I wasn't okay with the decisions that made and how things ended in Seattle. I knew that I was, you know, my level of professionalism would outweigh how, how I wanted to feel or react emotionally. I was like, okay, I understand it's a business. Right. And so I, I, I kind of kept that where it was. Mm -hmm. That's the decision. And that's where they're going. Right. I wasn't bitter. I, you know, I mean, you hear about the stories of people storming out, throwing chairs. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's look, there's some former players, who can't come into this building based on how their relationship, you know, ended. Wow. And so I wanted to make sure that I was, a, you know, I was a person of character and professionalism. 
um, you know, just navigating, you know, the last, you know, my last decade of being away from sports have ex- essentially been exactly what you're talking about is how do I maneuver or move into a new space where, you know, that's that I'm that really I'm starting over in many ways. Right. Whether I'm choosing to go into broadcast journalism or, you know, become an entrepreneur or pursue a different career in a different industry, there's a lot to learn. And and I was very truthful to myself about that, you know, and essentially becoming a rookie again. My rookie year was just a sponge. I wanted to know as much as I need to know for me to be successful. And my story of how I got into um, sports broadcasting was after a game in Tennessee, um, I was interviewed by the NFL Network. And in the middle of – and during the commercial break, I'm talking to the producers. I'm like, well, during the offseason, I train in L.A., like – I mean, would it would it be okay if I just came in and did some work? You know, not pay me or whatever it is. You know, I'm not looking for a contract. I just want to start facilitating the relationships now because I knew transition was yet, you know, it was ahead of me, right? right, right. Whenever that was. And that's exactly what I did, you know. So I was working at the NFL Network without realizing that I wasn't going back for year 10. And while I still was kind of even, even in my analysis, I still kind of had the the protection of the players, right? I wasn't throwing guys under the bus, but right. I was trying to be as truthful as I can. Um, you know, I still had the, the attitude or the mentality of a, of a, of a player, right? Mm-hmm. You know, protect the team. And, uh, and it wasn't until I really made that decision that, okay, well, I'm not going to sit around and wait for the NFL to call. I'm just going to create my own opportunities. And I ended up um, getting a contract with the NFL Network for uh, three seasons. Oh, that's awesome. And then, and this is prior to me coming to Seattle, but I was still living in Seattle. I was coming up, and that was just a weekday gig for me. So um, I reached out to the Seahawks, you know, Dave Pearson, you know. Again, I got feel strong about my relationships here and a lot of people who were, you know, in position when I was playing or now in leadership positions here making decisions and run, helping run the organization. Mm-hmm. And so I just leveraged those relationships. So you want to talk about full circle? I mean, it's – Look, you know, you treat people like people at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't about, you know, my bitterness or my emotions toward me leaving a franchise that gave me an opportunity to to, to fill my childhood career, mm-hmm. uh, my childhood dreams. I was I was I was thankful, right? And um, and so you know now still I think this is year seven. <laughs> you know, time flies turbo. Uh, time flies, flies turbo, right? But Definitely. but you know I. I've been an ambassador for the franchise in various ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, not, not many people can say that they still have an attachment to one of 32, you know, world sports franchises right. in the NFL. Right. I mean, it's it's so, again, um, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's these are another these are also real moments, you yeah. know, also real moments. Yeah. So I'm living a dream, Turbo. Still yeah. living a dream. I got I got one more for you. What you got, baby? And And, and then we'll wrap up because we know the difficulties of, that transition, you know, out of football. And, uh, you know, you mentioned reaching out to NFL Network and eventually getting that opportunity and talking to Dave Pearson here at the Seahawks and eventually getting that opportunity to be a part of the broadcast team. You wrote a book, all right, entitled The Pivot, well, just Pivot to Win. Pivot to Win. Pivot to Win. Just kind of get into what inspired you to write the book um, and what it's about, uh, kind of in a nutshell for our listeners. So, look, so the, the full title of the book is uh, Pivot to Win, Make the Big Plays in Life, Sports, and Business. Mm-hmm. Hence the play on name. Uh, 
so um so how that came about and the essence of it so when I left the NFL I, I mean even while I played I started I started a couple businesses my brother and I we have some together and then some he and I just kind of do on our own and one of the businesses that I that I started um was in transportation and while I'm running this business while I felt you know confident work ethic drive willingness to succeed I also realized oh man there's some gaps right there's 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 just some gaps naturally I was like ah I got to go retool so I, I go back to to pursue my MBA. I, I I enroll at Seattle University. I do an executive MBA program, and at the same time, I was trying to find a way where I can leverage what I was already doing with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. If the Seahawks saw me as an ambassador for the franchise, as someone that they can send out to speak on behalf of the franchise, you know help with their partner experience or customer experience, fan experience, right? Engage with the community to help enhance something. I'm like, well, there's clearly a message there that I can share where now I'm walking into a room. I can, I can give a, you know, a keynote speech or, you know, there's, there's something around my story and uniqueness of, you know, making it to this level of, uh, in the NFL. And, and again, it's not natural for someone to take the path that I did. And while it may not have been, you know, all that entertaining to me because, I mean, really, I, I still have this sense of humility. It's like that quiet confidence. It was attractive. I was like, so, I, so I, I'm, I'm in this, uh, this leadership conference down in San Diego, and my mentor, Darren Hardy, who um, he, he says to, it's about 100 business owners all across the world. He says, if anyone is interested in writing a book, come back before the lunch break, and I'll give you access to my, produ- my, you know, my production team, my, my publishing team. Like, okay, well, sure, yeah, I'll write a book. By the end of the day, look, by the end of the day, I'm standing up in front of 100 people that I don't know, and I'm like, in next year, like, you know, what's one big takeaway? Everyone had to say one big takeaway. It's like, next year, I'm going to write a book. Now, I didn't know what the hell I was writing about, what the story was going to be, the message, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But I knew if, if I could hone in on that, then, you know, it can become a great marketing tool to help do some of the things that I wanted to do life after football. So, again, I, I end up here, and the book is really about, it's part memoir. So there's a part of it of growing up in Texas, the, the path of Division II uh, football and playing nearly a decade in the NFL as an undrafted free agent. There, that's one component of it. The other part of it, too, is, like, there's something unique around, you know, all of our stories, not just mine. We all have a story. We all deal with perseverance. We're all faced with challenges. We're all faced with setbacks, right? Mm-hmm. But ev- everyone don't respond the same. So how can I help inspire someone else who may be dealing with setbacks, challenges, or even a, a negative attitude or approach to something to help them shift their level of optimism to believe that something is possible? So there's that component of it, self-help and, um, and personal development. And then the transition away from football, loss of identity. And I think that's the biggest thing, oh, yeah. right? Because you've experienced it, and 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 maybe you can relate to it. When you lose this level of that's been that's been so much of a part of who you are, um, you almost you almost you almost lost, right? You are lost, yeah. You, 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 right? You you're like, oh well, I've been told what to do so for so long, when to be there, how to do that. I had a routine. I had familiarity with my surroundings and, and, you know, and, and I could basically week to week, I know what I was doing. Well, what happened when you take that away? 
right? So now here you are as a, let's say an early, fortunate, right? Late 20s or early 30s. Now you're having to deal with a lot of things that people who graduated high school with you or graduated college with you for the last decade, seven plus years, have been able to have managed all, for one, um, time management, mm-hmm. you know, for two, routine, mm-hmm. you know, relationship management. And, and there's just, I mean, I can go down a gamut, right? I mean, how one feels about themselves, right? I mean, I don't know how you felt when, when, you, when you weren't playing anymore, but I felt like not a little less than, but I felt like this sense of belonging, I lost my tribe. No, nah, I mean, I, I would look in the mirror, and I, for a while, I didn't even recognize who I was anymore. I was like, is that, I don't even, like, there's Turbo, but I don't, yeah. I who, don't who see is, that. Who is Turbo? Yeah, who is that guy? Uh, who that who am I? Who am I? Right, 100%. Yeah, 100%. right, and 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 so that that level of uh, what, you know, I, I call it this, you know, psychological roller coaster, right, of both emotion personal and self-value, um, you know, physical, right? Because, I mean, look, the other part is that we're healing. Like, our body is healing, right? Our, true. It's it's my mind is in a different space, and I'm trying to figure out who the hell I am, what the hell I want to do, what am I supposed to be doing today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then who, it, it, right, and, and right. there's, there's, so it's a, it's a big, it's a big roller coaster to navigate. Right. And, um, you know, so I, I also I want to just put that in words and put that in in the book so I can help players like yourself who came after me yeah. and I can share what that story was and perhaps even in some way inspire other players to find uh, that transition faster. Yep. And so a lot of the things that I'm even doing now, um, you know, with helping former players is helping them identify, get early skills while they're playing uh, so they can help, so they can pivot faster. And it's a lot different now. I mean, you know, with social media and technology and brand awareness and, you know, this, you know, the programs, the NFLPA and stuff, all, like all that. of yeah. it, right. Yeah. It's, it's really helping players transition a lot faster. Yeah. yeah. Amazing, man. Well, has anybody ever called you JB? Cause that's what I was just about to do. Yeah. Yeah. They call me JB. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on the show. Big play. Babs, episode two in the books, y'all. Stay tuned next week. Episode three coming live. Not a special guest, though, I don't imagine. Not a special guest, no. No, no, no. Appreciate everybody listening. Tune in next week. Peace.